You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet, by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash kalaminstitute. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Apologize for the delay, we had a flat tire on the way here so I got to teach them how to do that, alhamdulillah <laughs> Alright Tayyip, so continuing inshallah with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the prophetic biography, Asiratun Nabawiyah In the previous session rather previous sessions, we've been talking about the hijrah, the event of the migration from Mecca to Medina. And we started off, of course, initially uh, by talking about the embracing of Islam by the Muslims of Yathrib, which was to become Medina, Al-Madinatul Munawara. Then we talked about the establishment of a community there, and eventually, the Prophet ﷺ starting to send the immigrants from uh, Mecca to Medina. He started sending the Muslims off from there. Similarly, the Muslims who had migrated to Habasha, Abyssinia, East Africa, most of them also started to leave there and arrive in Medina as well. And then finally, we get to the point in the place where the Prophet of Allah wasallam is commanded, instructed, permitted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to also make the migration from Mecca to Medina. And he approaches, of course, none other than his best friend, his confidant. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu telling him that we're going to undertake this journey together. He leaves Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu in his home, in his bed, on the night where the Meccans of Quraysh have gathered and hatched a plan to assassinate the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In either case, in last week's incident, uh, last week's session, in the previous session, we talked about the family of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. We were actually talking about how they went and they took refuge in the cave of Thawr, in Ghar Thawr, in the cave of Thawr for three days. But so even though we talked about that entire incident, part of the takeaway lesson from that was the virtue of not just Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, but the family of Abu Bakr. His daughters, Asma bin Tabi Bakr, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. We talked about the virtue of these people and how remarkable of a family this is. And in fact, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha in that same narration where she talks about the Prophet sallallahu arriving and then her, him and her father departing from there. She even says, فَجَهَزْنَاهُمَا أَحَثَ الْجِهَازِ أَحَثَ الْجَهَازِ she actually says that we prepared them for their journey and we made the food and the provisions for them. So meaning Asma bin Tabi Bakr, Aisha, As-Siddiqa radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, both of these girls are the ones who actually even prepared the provisions for the journey of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and their father Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then of course we talked about this last time that Asma bin Tabi Bakr when she 
wanted to tie the provisions to the to the camel, to the saddle on the camel, and she couldn't find anything to tie the, the food and the provisions she had prepared. Then she took a belt, like a wrap, a cloth that would be wrapped around the waist. She took that and she tore it into two and she used that to tie it to the two camels. And from there on, she received the nickname, Zatun Nitaqain, that the woman of the two belts that she received that, that, that title uh, as a virtue for her. So where we resume the story of the Hijrah is that the Prophet of Allah وسلم, along with his travel companion Abu Bakr, As-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu are in the cave of Thawr. They're taking refuge there. They've been there for three days. And we talked about the whole system they had set up that uh, Abdullah bin Abi Bakr, right? The son of Abu Bakr, also another family member taking part here. He used to come at night, he would come in the evening, and he would spend the whole night there with them, bring food and everything for them. And then he would leave early in the morning before the residents of Mecca would wake up again. And during the daytime, one of the freed slaves of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Amir bin Fuhayra, who used to uh, work as a shepherd, he, during the daytime, would graze his uh, goats and his sheep not too far from where the cave, uh, cave was. And he would look for an opportunity and kind of slowly make his way over to the cave and come and check on them and visit on them, uh, visit them. So all of this had been going on, and of course we talked about Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu searching the cave, making sure nothing harmful was there. And obviously there's no flashlight, there's no iPhone that you can take it out and turn on your light and check. So how is he going to check the cave? He checked it with his bare hands. Dark corners where you don't know what's there. There could be a snake, there could be a scorpion, there could be bugs, there could be anything. And with his bare hands, he wiped the whole cave clean with his bare hands. With his bare hands, checked the entire cave, TSA style, right? He checked the entire cave, make sure, made sure nothing harmful was there. And then he permitted the Prophet ﷺ to enter the cave. The love that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu had. We even talked about it that when they leave Mecca, then he keeps rotating around the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ, after a while says, what's going on here? You just like, you know, keep going around in circles. You keep switching positions. Bizarre. What's going on with you? And he said, Ya Rasulullah, I'm just, I'm freaking out. Not for my own self, but for you, Ya Rasulullah. When I think somebody might come and attack us from behind, I, stand, I start riding behind you. When I'm afraid that somebody's waiting for us and they're gonna ambush us, then I go in front. So this is the love that Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu has for the Prophet sallallahu And he understands how important the Prophet sallallahu is to the ummah, to humanity. And so he's willing to sacrifice himself and his own life for the safety of the Prophet ﷺ. In either case, now they're in the cave and we ended last week's session by talking about how when the people come close and Abu Bakr ta'ala anhu can see them, they can hear them conversing. That Abu Bakr ta'ala anhu starts to get really scared, he's sweating, he's shaking. He tells the Prophet ﷺ, I'm, I'm having to struggle not to just, you know, start panting and breathing hard, like hyperventilating. Because he's worried that they're going to find them in there and they're going to harm the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ puts his hand on his hand and he says, لا تحزن إن الله معنا don't, don't worry about anything, Allah is with us. ما ظنك بإثنين الله ثالثهما what do you think could ever happen to two tra travelers? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the third one with them on their journey. Nothing can happen. Don't worry about a thing. 
And miraculously, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala arranged for their protection. They couldn't even see them. The one scout that they sent came and scoped out the area, walked right by the cave, not once but twice, and goes back in the Prophet and can hear him conversing with the rest of the group. Hey, did you look over there? I think there's a cave there. And the man responds by saying that, yeah, yeah I checked over there, there's nothing over there. And they depart, they leave from there. Finally, one of uh, Amir bin Fuhaira comes with the two camels that Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala had arranged for their journey that the Prophet insisted on paying for. He brings the two camels at the, at during the night time, during the first third of the night of that third day. Because Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala told him, come back three nights later. So he arrives with the two camels. And he arrives also along with another man who was a guide. And it said that this man was not a Muslim, he was a mushrik, but he was an expert guide. And Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala felt like he could trust him. And he had actually hired him and paid him. So this guide shows up, and uh, Ahmed bin Fuhaira comes with the two camels that Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala had arranged. And they arrive there at the cave, and the Prophet and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu get on their camels, and they basically set out towards Al-Madinatul Munawwara, along with the guide that's taking them with them. Now, the narrations mentioned that there were two routes. There was a more direct route that would take them to Medina, and then there was a longer route that would go along the shore, a sahil. And so the narration mentions that فَأَخَذَ بِهِمْ طَرِيقَ sawahil That they basically ended up taking the longer route that would go along the shore. There were a couple of reasons. It was a longer route. So it was a more, it was a less logical route, which was better. Number two, it was not very frequented. So they, were, they would be able to keep a lower profile on that route. And number three, there was actually even a lot of, uh, there was a lot of talk of there being bandits along that route, which would further discourage people from traveling on that route. So the Prophet ﷺ ended up going on this route, him, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala, and their guide. Now, along the way, there are many, many different incidents that are related, and some of them more authentic than others. There's one particular incident that is mentioned by all the scholars of the seerah, and it's in fact mentioned in many of the books of the Sunan, and it's even mentioned by Imam Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala, and that is the famous story of Suraqa bin Malik. Suraqa bin Malik basically tells the story himself. The story is told by Suraqa bin Malik, and it's actually narrated by the son of Suraqa bin Malik. Or, or rather, excuse me, the, the nephew of Suraqa bin Malik. The nephew of Suraqa bin Malik later on narrates that his father, the brother of Suraqa bin Malik, told him that his brother, his own brother, told him this story firsthand. What was the story? He says that um, uh, Suraqa bin Malik was from Banu Mudlaj, who were, again, they were affiliates of Quraysh, if you want to understand them as such. So he says, I was sitting there amongst the people with the, the rest of the chiefs, and he himself was considered a leader of his people. So he said, I'm sitting there with the leader, with the other leaders of the people, and some messengers, Ja'ana Rusulu Kufari Quraysh, some messengers, some couriers of the Quraysh came to us. And 
that both for the Prophet ﷺ and for Abu Bakr anhu, they were willing to offer the equivalent of blood money, diya, the equivalent of blood money, which at that particular time in the culture of the Arabs, in tribal law if you will, it was a hundred camels. A hundred camels, which is a lot of money. I mean, you can, you know, again, there, uh, there's, there's no way to really draw an exact equivalent of that, or maybe that would take more time. But you can generally understand it to be in the range of a hundred thousand dollars. It's a lot of money. A hundred camels is like a hundred thousand dollars. It's a lot of money. And so they said for each one of them we will offer a hundred camels as reward for anyone that can kill them. That can kill them, basically bring their head, bring proof that they've killed them. Or capture them and bring them to us. The Quraysh offers this as a reward. For anyone that can bring Muhammad Rasulullah or Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Suraqa bin Malik says, فَبَيْنَا أَنَا جَالِسٌ فِي مَجْلِسٍ مِنْ مَجَالِسِ قَوْمِ مِنْ قَوْمِ بَنِي مُدْلِجْ أَقْبَلَ رَجُلٌ مِنْهُمْ حَتَّى قَامَ عَلَيْنَا وَنَحْنُ جُلُوسٌ So he says, I was sitting there and these messengers of the Quraysh are coming and making these announcements and proclamations. Who wants this reward? And while sitting there, one man comes and he says, يَا سُرَاقَ إِنِّي رَأَيْتُ آنِفًا أَسْوِدَةً he says that along the sea, along the sea, along the shore, I saw a small group of people traveling, and I'm almost certain, like I'm willing to bet that that's Muhammad and his travel companions, that that's them right there. So Suraqa says, I said to him, Suraqa says, فَعَرَفْتُ أَنَّهُمْ هُمْ I knew that that was them. I immediately understood, yeah, that's gotta be them. Because it all made sense. Suraqa's a smart guy. He says it makes perfect sense. If you want to travel, you don't want to get caught, you want to keep a low profile, that'd be the way to go. So I knew that that would be them. So he said, I told them, فَقُلْتُ لَهُ إِنَّهُمْ لَيْسُوا إِنَّهُمْ لَيْسُوا بِهِمْ that, that, that the people that you saw, that can't be Muhammad and his travel companions. وَلَكِنَّكَ رَأَيْتَ فُلَانًا وَفُلَانًا إِن طَلَقُوا بِأَعْيُنِنَا that he says that, that that must have been somebody else or somebody else. That the, you know those people, those people, those people from the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, they just left and they told me they were going to go that way. That's them. You got it all mixed up. So he says, I made up a story to kind of cover it up. He says that I waited for a little while sitting there like acting like as if everything was good, you know, just chatting people up, making conversation, keeping an eye on that guy from the corner of my eye. And when I saw that he kind of went about his business, he got bored and he left. Then I went and I went home and I told, فَأَمَرْتُ جَارِيَتِي I commanded this, uh, I told the, the, the servant that I had, this slave woman that I had, that to prepare my horse and to take my horse so that nobody would see me on a horse, to take my horse a little bit farther away outside of the town, outside of the village and wait there for me. Then he says, I grabbed my spear and I snuck out the back of my house, not even the front of my house, I snuck out the back of my house. And even talks about something very interesting here. He says, فَخَرَجُ مِنْ ظَهْرِ الْبَيْتِ فَخَطَطْتُ بِزُجِّهِ الْأَرْضَ وَخَفَطْتُ عَالِيَهُ He says, I held my spear in such a way where I grabbed the, the end of it 
And the pointy part of it, the spear part of it, I let it kind of hang down far enough to the point where it was touching the ground, but behind me, like holding it like this. I held my spear like this, I held the handle of it, but I held it so far down that it was actually touching the ground behind me. And he said, the reason why I did that was as I was leaving footsteps, the spear was cutting through the dirt, distorting my footsteps. So I didn't want anyone to be able to follow me. Because that was a skill a lot of people possessed at that time. So I did this so that nobody would be able to follow me and know where I had gone. So eventually I go there, I find the, the slave waiting there with my horse. I get on the horse and I head out. And I follow the route that the man saw, said he saw, the Prophet ﷺ. He says, I found him, I could see him, and I started getting closer. And he says that as soon as I got close enough, one other thing he talks about in the narration is that these were very superstitious people, right? Shirk and superstition, which are synonymous with one another. We have to remember that a lot of times. There's a lot of superstition that goes on in our you know, culture and society and things like that. Superstition is a byproduct of a lack of faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one can precede the other. Sometimes shirk leads to a further indulgence in superstition, but we also have to be careful because a lot of indulgence, is, indulgence into superstition withers away the faith of a person. But faith in iman is above and beyond superstition. It frees us from the shackles of superstition. So nevertheless, he says that I kind of like, they used to draw straws if you want to call it that, but they used to do it with a quiver of arrows that they would basically draw an arrow. That will this, will I be successful or not? And he said, every, and then we would have an arrow marked for good luck, an arrow marked for bad luck. And he said, every time I drew the arrow, I did this along the way. One narration says, I did it before I set out on my journey. You know, I prayed to the gods and the idols. And I said, if, you know, let me draw the good arrow, if I will be successful on this journey of mine. And I drew the arrow and I drew the wrong one, the bad one. And I was like, oh, what do I do now? And I went anyways, because there was a lot of money, so you got to do what you got to do. And so he says, I went ahead and went. And so he says, I had drawn the wrong arrow. When I got close enough to them, I drew my spear and I aimed it at the Prophet wasallam. And right when I was thinking about throwing it, he says, I got close enough to where I could hear the Prophet wasallam reciting Qur'an. I got close enough to where I could hear the Prophet ﷺ reciting Qur'an. He's traveling, I talked about it, you know, he's reciting the, the du'as and ad'iyah. He's reciting the Qur'an on his journey. And he said, Abu Bakr had his head on a swivel. He literally describes it. He says, تَقَرَّبْتُ بِهِمْ حَتَّى إِذَا سَمِعَتُ قِرَاءَةَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, وَهُوَ لَا يَلْتَفِتْ he said the Prophet was not looking right, he wasn't looking left, he wasn't checking behind him. The Prophet was just riding straight forward, just reciting the Qur'an. It's like he didn't have a worry in the world. He's just reciting the book of Allah just on this ride. And he says, Abu Bakr He said Abu Bakr had his head on a swivel. He was just checking constantly, looking around. Because again, and you know, both are representative and symbolic of faith. This is the faith of the Messenger ﷺ. He's on this journey for Allah, going towards Allah, reciting the book of Allah. Nothing can trouble him or bother him in the least bit. 
Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala has such profound, deep, committed love for the Messenger of Allah that he can't rest for a moment. He can't rest for a moment because he's trying to protect and guard the Prophet There's such so much faith that that can be learned and observed here. That what is iman in Allah like and what is dedication, devotion to the Messenger like? So you see both right here. And he says, when I got close enough and I could hear the Prophet ﷺ reciting the Qur'an, he says, all of a sudden, سَاخَتْ يَدَا فَرَسِي فِي الْأَرْضِ حَتَّى إِذَا بَلَغَتَا الرُّكْبَتَيْنِ He says that the, the legs, the front legs of my horse, they sunk into the ground up till the knees, up till the knees of the horse. The legs of the horse is sunk into the ground straight. He says, I freaked out, فَخَرَّرْتُ anha, ثُمَّ زَجَرْتُهَا فَنَهِضَتْ He says that I immediately backed up the horse and I was yelling at the horse like, what's going on, what's wrong with you? And then they came out. فَلَمْ تَكَدْ يَدَيْهَا It was like it, the, the legs would never come out. فَلَمَّا اسْتَوَتْ قَائِمَةً So he says that finally, the horse was able to kind of back away again. One other narration, he says that this huge cloud came in while the legs of the horse were stuck inside of the ground. This huge cloud came in, like almost like smoke in the air came in. And I started yelling, screaming out towards the Prophet There's another narration that uh, some of the scholars mentioned where they mentioned four times first it happened. That he screams out to the Prophet that... Let me go, let me go. Please, please, save me, save me. فَوَقَفُوا So they stopped. فَرَكِبْتُ فَرَسِي حَتَّى جِئْتُهُمْ So he, first and foremost I should mention, another narration mentions four times it happened. That he said, I backed my horse away and the legs of the horse came out. Then I tried to reproach them again and again, the legs of the horse would go into the ground. And then I would back the horse up again and the legs would come out and I would back up. Then I went forward again to go after the Prophet and again the legs go in. Finally on the fourth time, that's when the legs went in, the smoke started to cover the sky, basically come down upon me. And that's when I started to scream and I said, please, please, save me, save me. And he says, the Prophet and Abu Bakr who stopped. When they stopped, the legs of my horses, the horse came back out again, and I rode my ride all the way up to them until I was with them. Uh, I finally went to them and as I was approaching them on my horse still had a spear and everything but as I was approaching them I couldn't stop thinking about what had just happened to me like every single time I got close with a bad intention the legs of my horse started sinking into the ground like quicksand and then this smoke started to descend down upon me like I saw, I had just experienced all of this, so I was still traumatized. I was still thinking about it, and that's when I realized he is the messenger of God, and what, what the mission that he's on, no force on earth can stop it. No force on earth can stop the mission that he's on. He's divinely protected. There's a greater power behind him. So I said to him, فَقُلْتُ لَهُ إِنَّ قَدْ جَعَلُوا فِي he said, your people have fixed a price. They've put a price on your head. And I told him everything. I told him all the information. 
These people are looking for you. These people are looking for you. This guy thought that he saw you on this path, and that's why I, I told him everything. Not only that, وَعَرَضْتُ عَلَيْهِمُ الزَّادَ وَالْمَتَاعِ Whatever supplies and food and provisions I had with me, I said, here, take my stuff. Take my stuff with you on your journey. He says, فَلَمْ يَرْزَآنِي وَلَمْ يَسْأَلَانِي He says that they did not take a single thing from me. The Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr did not take a single thing from me and they didn't ask me for a single thing. They just simply said that just keep our information private. Like don't tell anybody else about us. So he says, I asked him, could you write down something for me? Could you write down something for me, like basically like a note saying that I have your protection? Can, could you do that for me? So he says that, so he commanded the, uh, either Abu Bakr or the guide to write down, and in the narration mentions that it was like a little patch of leather, that on the patch of leather he told him to write down that this man has the protection of Muhammad Rasulullah wasallam. The narration basically goes on that he says, فَكَتَبَ لِي كِتَابًا He wrote down something for me, either فِي رُقَعَةٍ أو خِرْقَةٍ Either in a little patch of like a little piece of cloth or a little patch of leather. And he later on talks about that he met the Prophet ﷺ much, much later on. Some of the narrations mentioned that this, he met the Prophet ﷺ later on at the time of Fathu Makkah. He met the Prophet ﷺ after the conquest of Mecca. And he, when he met the Prophet ﷺ, it actually says that he was captured and he was brought to the Prophet ﷺ. And he reminded the Prophet ﷺ and showed him that little patch of leather, that little note that he had written him that, remember, you said I would have your protection. And he says that the Prophet ﷺ said, يَوْمُ وَفَاءٍ وَبِرٍ أُدْنُهُ That the Prophet ﷺ said that, you know, this is the day of fulfilling promises. Today is a day to fulfill promises. Let him come close, bring him close. And he came close to the Prophet ﷺ. He says, فَدَنَوْتُ مِنْهُ I came closer to the Prophet ﷺ وَأَسْلَمْتُ And I became Muslim. So Suraqa bin Malik would become Muslim much, much, much later on. Nevertheless, he says that, وَلَمَّا رَجَعَ سُرَاقَ جَعْلَ لَا يَلْقَى أَحَدًا مِنَ الطَّلَبِ إِلَّا رَدَّهُ As he was returning back from there, after receiving his note from the Prophet ﷺ and sending them off on their way, as he was returning back to Mecca, whenever he met any other search party, any other bounty hunters that were out there looking for the Prophet ﷺ because of the price, he would send them back. He's like, oh, I already scoped it out, I checked it out. And everyone knew Suraqa bin Malik and respected him and knew he was a smart guy. He knew what he was doing. So they'd say, okay, okay, Suraqa checked it out and there must not be anything worthy checking out there. وَقَالَ كُفِيتُمْ هَذَا الْوَجْعَ I've already checked this area, this area out, trust me. There's nothing over here. He says, فَلَمَّا ظَهَرَ أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ قَدْ وَصَلَ إِلَى الْمَدِينَةِ He goes back to Mecca or to, to his tribe and he doesn't say a word. He doesn't say a word until he hears the news that the Prophet ﷺ has in fact safely reached Al-Madinatul Munawwara. He says, then at that point, جَعَلَ سُرَاقَ يَقُصُ عَلَى النَّاسِ مَا رَآءَ وَمَا شَاهَدَ مِنَ أَمْرِ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم. That's when Suraqa started telling the stories about what he had experienced with the Prophet ﷺ. 
And he talks about how what happened with his horse and how he found the Prophet ﷺ to be such a kind and generous man. And eventually this news kind of started to spread. People started talking about it. Did you hear what Suraqa said about Muhammad ﷺ? He's an amazing story and this story and that story and people started talking about it. Ma'aratahu, the, the leaders of Quraysh were afraid that he would start kind of turning people. So, وَخَشُوا أَنْ يَكُونَ ذَلِكَ سَبَبًا لِإِسْلَامِ كَثِيرٍ مِّنْهُمْ وَكَانَ سُرَاقَ أَمِيرَ بَنِي مُدْلِجْ وَرَئِيسَهُمْ فَكَتَبَ أَبُو جَهَلْ إِلَيْهِمْ So, Suraqa was a leader of his tribe and he's telling all these ama- this amazing story about the Prophet ﷺ. The Quraysh and the leaders of Quraysh got worried. If he keeps talking like this, some people are going to start to become Muslim over there. And we can't have that. So Abu Jahl wrote to the other leaders of Banu Mudlij the following message and he wrote it in poetry. He said, Banu Mudlijin, Bani Mudlijin, inni akhafu safihakum suraqata mustaghwin li nasri muhammadi alaykum bihi alla yufarraqa jama'akum fayusbiha shatta ba'da izzin wa su'dadi. He says that, O Banu Mudlaj, I'm afraid that this foolish man from amongst you, Suraqa, he's gonna lead people astray and take people to the help and the aid of Muhammad against you. And he's gonna help them against you. And he's going to end up, you know, dividing you. So be careful. Alaykum bihi. Deal with him now. Allah yufarriqa baynakum. Allah yufarriqa jama'akum. Deal with him now before he can divide your people up. And before you know it, your people will become divided after they have so much power and honor and leadership, you're going to fall into turmoil if you don't deal with him now. So deal with him. The narration mentions that Suraqa found out that Abu Jahl had written this and sent this. So Suraqa responds. He says, Aba Hakam, Wallahi laukunta shahidan, li amri jawadi ittasuhu qawaimu. عَجِبْتَ وَلَمْ تَشْكُبْ بِأَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولٌ وَبُرْهَانٌ فَمَنْ ذَا يُقَاوِمُهُ عَلَيْكَ بِكَفِّ الْقَوْمِ عَنِّي فَإِنَّنِي إِخَالٌ لَنَا يَوْمًا سَتَبْدُ مَعَالِمُهُ بِأَمْرٍ تَوَدُّ النَّصْرَ فِيهِمْ فَإِنَّهُمْ وَإِنَّ جَمِيعًا النَّاسِ تُرًّا مُسَالِمُهُ He says that, you know, that oh, Abu al-Hakam, which was what they used to actually call Abu Jahl, he says that, I swear by Allah, if you were there and you saw what happened with my horse, you would have been so amazed, and you would have had no doubt left about the fact that Muhammad is in fact a messenger, and he does come with proof, that, and he has solid proof basically. So, you need to leave him alone, and you need to tell your people to leave him alone, because I you know, will join them once his teachings become widespread and known, I have every intention to join them as well. And to help them in any way that they can use my help, and eventually everybody will join his ranks and become Muslim. So he responds to him in this exact way, and as we talked about that, eventually, you know, Suraqa would become Muslim. The next major basic... Uh, basically, the next phase of the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ is the arrival of the Prophet ﷺ before Medina into Quba, 
the suburb of Medina. Before we actually talk about that, real quickly, one other thing is, uh, Urwat ibn Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu relates that the Prophet of Allah, Imam Bukhari mentions this narration, that the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa met Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu um, in a group of Muslims. They were actually gone for doing business and they were coming back from Bilad sham the Levant. We've talked about this number of times. It's not just modern day Syria, but even Palestine in that whole region. So they, nevertheless, they were gone there for business and they were returning back from there for business. And they end up running into the Prophet Sallallahu and Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu was so happy to see them. But they still split their ways from there because the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr ﷺ needed to keep a low profile. These were just businessmen, they had a cover and they were traveling. But before they departed, Zubayr ﷺ took two white garments, like two white pairs of clothes, really nice, that he had just acquired from there, from, from Sham, to bring it back and sell it. And he gave it to the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr ﷺ as a gift. And they had been traveling, they spent three days in the cave, their clothes were getting really dirty and a lot of wear and tear so he gave them these white clothes and by now the Muslims of Medina had heard that the Prophet ﷺ was on his way he was in the journey and the narration says that every single morning early in the morning all the Muslims of Medina would come outside of not just Medina but outside of Quba from the direction that they would be approaching and they would wait there and they would wait there all the way till noon all the way till noon, until it became noontime and sometimes even past noon. Until then, then they would finally return back home from there. And they kept doing this every single day. Every single day they kept doing this. Until finally, one day, there was a man from the Yahud, from a Jewish man, who was sitting up on kind of like a platform. He was sitting up there and he was looking out in that direction and he sees the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr and he described Mubiyaddaini that they were both wearing white clothes, Yazulu bihim sarab. They were so far into the distance that right where like the mirage, you know when you look out into the desert, into the heat and the mirage starts to appear, they were right where the mirage would start to appear. That they were far away, and he saw them both wearing white clothes. So the this Jewish man basically starts to scream at the top of his lungs, "Ya ma'ashar al-Arab, hada jaddukum al-ladhi tantaziruna." That oh Arab, here is the man that you've been waiting for for so long. And from here, the narration basically mentions that the Muslims all started rushing and getting together and going out there to meet and to greet the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and to receive the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We'll go ahead and inshallah stop here because what we'll be talking about next is how the Prophet sallallahu arrived in Quba, what activities he conducted there, how long he ended up staying there, and from there the Prophet sallallahu moves on into Medina and begins to establish the community in Al-Bandidatul Munawwara and we'll talk about that in the next following session may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanakallah wa bihamdik nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk